0: This is going to be a lot of fun today. Uh, I'm going to talk about the NFL owners. You are not going to be surprised the way I talk about them. Albert Breer on that and all the quarterback landscape stuff, including a big win for the Packers and what it could mean for Rodgers' future. And Alan Yang, he worked on Parks and Rec. He has a podcast about Parks and Rec. Really talented writer, fun guy, uh, and life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs in FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. I want to start by talking about Roger Goodell protecting the owners again this week, because that's his job. We may not like it, but that's the man's job. Protect the shield. Roger Goodell is the shield, and he's bad at talking publicly. We've learned that over the last decade plus. He's just not good at it. So even when he's trying to deliver something on their behalf, he, he's just his approach has always been bad. Um, and honestly, the topic is bad, too. Uh, we wanted to learn more about the investigation of the Washington football team and some of the emails that went around that led to John Gruden being out with the Vegas Raiders, it's basically like, hey, that's all you're getting. And we should be used to it, right? Because the Shield, really the owners, they don't care about us, all right? They've 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 never cared. We're all marks as consumers. And we want to hold them to this higher standard because they represent something that's so important to us, right? And I think as you get older too, geography matters more. Where you're from matters more. And even though these guys aren't elected officials, they're guys that just made awesome business transactions, we'd like them to feel a little bit more like elected officials because they're so emotionally attached to the thing that they're in control of. So when they're assholes to all of us about it all of the time, every time they're given a chance to be decent about things, they just can't. They're incapable of doing it. And so when they let us down every single time, It feels more personal, even though we should never take it personally, because here's a rule that I've always told you. If somebody tells you to have lower expectations about themselves, agree with them. Let's recap a few things. This is a group that took five million, I think, from the military. Now, granted, the Department of Defense, I think, spent 100 million over years trying to promote recruitment. And the NFL did it. We're all like, yeah, for the troops, halftime, someone's coming out to see their dad. Guys are waving. Flags are out there. People in uniform. It was all paid for. The, no, none of the owners were like, hey, should we not do this? And granted, other leagues are doing it too. The NFL, I think, more than the other leagues. Remember the cancer research thing that happened a couple years ago? Remember when we found out, like, man, those pink hoodies are fire. I love the gloves. You're like 8 to $12 out of every 100 goes to cancer research. Like, How does that work? And again, I'm not an idiot. There's marketing. There's cost, there's production, there's shipping, there's all of that stuff. But I'll just tell you, 8 to 12% feels a little non-researchy. Their branding's terrible. It really is. The NFL brand itself is great, but the way they're so dismissive of their Q rating is actually fascinating. And you remember when everybody hated them again because of concussions, right? And every time we learn more about the concussion thing, you'd be like, this the owners really did this? Like they were this terrible with their own employees about concussions because they knew how dangerous it was and they didn't want anyone to know. And granted, that's years ago, but it also happened. And so it's like, man, everybody hates the NFL. And they go, what can we do? What can we do to change the conversation, Don Draper style. We don't like the way they're talking about us. What can we do to change the conversation? They just decided to have a bunch of like little kids in NFL jerseys and like, hey, remember the Super Bowl? We had sex. Look at all these Super Bowl babies. Like, don't hate us anymore because people have sex during our biggest game. It was just weird. It it was out of place. You want to talk about weird? Again, this comes off of everyone hating the NFL again, especially in the media. Did you see the ad last week where it was like, hey, what can we bang out real quick that makes us look like we are so cool? Because it shows up and it goes, football, white graphic, black screen. Football is gay. And I'm like, what? What? Football is lesbian. I was like, all right. Football is transgender. And you're thinking, oh, I see what you did. What's the quickest way we can get an ad made? We can't even get any graphics or any, anybody in it. We're just going to show everybody that we're really cool by putting this out there for 30 seconds to show how inclusive we are in this 30 second ad with just a bunch of words in it because this will fix it. I can't believe there's not somebody with more power in the league that's like, do you know how stupid we look when we keep trying to do this all the time? is there any way we can actually make a little less money and just be cooler about it? And as we all know, the rule in business is you can't ever do any of those things. This is a crazy story that I don't even think got that much attention because we couldn't believe it was happening. Do you realize they just decided to stop doing the racial profiling in the concussion lawsuits by trying to figure out the cognitive regression by some of the players that they just decided that? Like what? When I read that story, I was like, what year are we in? There was nobody that was like, hey, should we have two different standards for regressing cognitive brain functions between different races? Should we do that? And they did it. This brings us back to the full circle point of why we're even talking about this again. Everybody wants to read the emails. They want this report to be public. Roger Goodell was like, we can't do that. We can't do it. And meanwhile, you got Mark Davis out in Vegas owning the Raiders, who's just pissed because he lost his buddy Gruden. I mean, he likes Gruden so much that Davis is probably leaving every Barber visit going, we're close, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Davis couldn't even pretend to understand why his coach wasn't there. And I've never been a Gruden fan. All right. I've, I've never liked the guy uh, that is, I think, pretty clear if you've heard me over the years. I mean, Gruden was using stuff where you're like, do you sit at home and watch VHS tapes of All in the Family? Like, who talks like this anymore? All right. So Davis is mad at the rest of the guys for getting rid of his guy And that's why he's mad. That's the only reason he's mad. If Davis is so mad at everybody else, then why don't you release the email so we can see everything else that happened? But that's probably not going to happen because if we know anything about NFL ownership and ownership in sports, we know that it's 32 for 32 in this case. And that's the point. We don't want any of that stuff out there because we don't want to set a precedent of any of us getting exposed for anything that's happening. And I'm not saying all 32 owners are terrible guys. I love the players, by the way. I love almost every coach that I've had a chance to interact with. I wouldn't say I know them intimately, but this is all about the owners because every time they have a chance to do something, it's like, hey, you know what? That's pretty cool. When it becomes the big stuff, like, look, you can run an ad, you can do a donation, you can get out there and wave, you can have a celebrity in your luxury box. But when you do the big stuff, you just screw it up all the time. Roger Goodell said he couldn't release the emails or the report because he needed respect the anonymity of the victims. The victims said they wanted to make it public. What Goodell did here is what our parents used to do to us when we wanted something. Hey, I want ice cream. and Your dad's like, actually, they don't make ice cream in Rhode Island. You believe it when you're six. You don't believe it when you're an adult. And whenever I think of how they protect each other, I get it. I'm not mad about it because I get that that's how people people do business. We don't like it, right? It's emotional to us. But it's never going to change. It's never going to change because we never change the channel. It reminds me of when Donald Sterling was out with the Clippers. Nobody's defending Donald, Donald Sterling. Nobody. All right? I'm not defending him. Nobody wants to do that. But Cuban said something really interesting that I don't even know that he would say now or if he said it now, he might get crushed in a way that people kind of just left it left it out there. But Cuban goes, look, if we're going to start taping people privately and then taking a franchise away from them because of the things they said privately, that's a slippery slope. And I like Cuban and he said it. And I even thought it was an interesting talking point. I don't think anyone would ever say that in 2021 because then it would be like Cuban defends Donald Sterling. No, but what we have is another example of the 32 guys looking out for 32 guys in the Washington Report staying hidden is a perfect example of this. The NFL has a self awareness of Michael Scott. The NFL's management style at times can be Michael Scott, but like more booze and throwing stars. The NFL's your dad coming outside of the back porch when you're in college going, Hey, is this a new 311? The NFL's tobacco with better hoodies, but It's never really going to change because, like I said, we never change the fucking channel. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. From the MMQB, Monday must-read, it's Albert Pereira who joins us. So let's, uh, I started with the owners in this and and I, I've said this for years. I, I don't have any expectation for them. They, they don't care about any of us. They don't. I mean, we, we're, we're an endless supply of revenue. Mm-hmm. They're never going to get it wrong even when they get it wrong because it's the bottom line and I'm not, I'm not an idiot. Like I get all of those things but when you have a week like you have And Goodell's just standing there saying, sorry, you know, we can't really do this. And then the lawyers from the victims in the investigation were like, no, we're telling you to go ahead and do it. We all know why he's not doing it. What's the set? Like, you've covered this league a really long time. You were down there this week. What's the takeaway? Because I already know the answer of how little they care about what anyone seems to think about them as the 32 owners. But like, what's the best way to talk about them and, and understanding like your, your, Your what should be deeper understanding of this group of guys who've just been kind of spitting at us from the penthouse for a long time.
1: I mean, it's like a crime family, right? Like, seriously, like, you look at it, and it's like, I think a big piece of this, Ryan, is they all have skeletons in their closet. They don't want to be pulling skeletons out on each other, and they don't want to set the precedent of people taking each other's teams away. You know, I mean, bottom line, like, if they set the precedent, we can take a team away from Dan Snyder, well, you know, I think there are probably other owners that would feel exposed by that. And even like people look back at the Jerry Richardson thing. I, I think a lot of like people forget that like in, in that situation, Jerry Richardson walked away on his own volition, just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm older. I don't have heirs. I, you know, I, like I, I, I care a lot about the league and I don't want to cause everybody this trouble. And I'm not making him a hero, but like that was sort of it. You know, it's just like he was walking away in shame. I mean, now they've run into the guy who just doesn't have any shame. You know what I mean? Like, so that's sort of, I I think that's sort of where we are on this. And, um, and, and, you know, I think as far as the way Roger addressed it, like, would it be great if he would get up there and say, well, you know, like the guy writes my check and then we're not going to embarrass him. Like, yeah, it would be great if he would answer the question that way. Um, unfortunately he has a team of PR people around him telling him that's the wrong thing to do. And um, you know, I think that they feel like they can just run the clock out on this the same way they run the clock out on a lot of other things. And, and oh, by the way, like, you know, I think a big part of the attitude, you know, just on a day to day basis is let's get ourselves to Sunday and then everybody's talking about football again.
0: Uh, there are, there are so many times with Goodell where I, I feel like what you just said, it's like, I mean, how mad can you get at him when he's carrying he's out thrown the in or- traffic? Right, and and then it's like, well, that it should be something different. And be like, do you think the thirty-two guys are going to hire someone that can actually really screw with them? No <laughs> yeah. one would ever do that. No one would. If anyone ever ran a company, or you had like co-owners of another company to go, hey, let's hire somebody from the outside that can constantly give a shit. It's an, It's an impossibility. It's just not going to ever happen.
1: Right, and and I I think in. I mean, look, in this case, like we have evidence too. And, um, you know, I wrote this this week and I've written it a few times, but it's true. I mean, you know, for as many times as we've been told, the owners are held to the highest standard, right? Like, and the boss should always be held to a higher standard than everybody else. Like, all you gotta do is go on the internet, Ryan. I mean, Tom Brady, you know, 250 pages on deflating footballs um, that was run by a federal investigator. It is there on the internet all you have to do is Google it and you can find the full report. 150 pages on Richie Incognito and bullying. I mean, basically like, I don't want to make light of it, but like a more or less a middle school situation, right? Like, and then Ray Rice, and that was a more serious case, but you get 100 pages on his domestic violence case. And there was never a follow-up investigation from the league on Jerry Richardson. Um, There was no like league run investigation on Jim Ursay. And those were serious things that affected other people. And so like, the expectation that there was going to be a public report on this, I want a public report like everybody else. But I think based on the history, like the expectation that we were going to get some sort of written report was probably silly, you know And beyond just that, I do think people are focusing on the emails a little too much. You know what I mean? Like I don't, it'd be, Would it be fun to dig through everybody's emails? Sure, we'd probably find some like pretty interesting stuff in there. But if the idea of this is to really get to the bottom of what happened in Washington, well, I don't know that we really need the email so much as we need a written report that details like not just the emails but everything that happened in the interviews and text messages and everything else.
0: Now, the biggest point is like what you said. These 30s, you guys don't want to set a precedent for all of a sudden being like, well, what's, what's the floor? What's the standard for taking a team away from another guy in this room? Mm-hmm. And no one in that setting is ever going to group Like, hey, you know what we do? We need to start lowering the threshold of offenses <laughs> to right. to take away these money making machines because no one's ever losing money on these teams it, the next tv deal is going to be more ridiculous than the previous one um you know i don't i don't know when it ends but i don't think it ends anytime soon traditional ratings can go down uh and cuban was talking about this the other day on a podcast but i mean i've been saying it for years it doesn't matter what your year to year numbers is or are it matters what your share is And Mm -hmm. if you're still the only live game in town, that's that matters more than anything else. And you have all these competing brands. Like, I I wonder if somebody will just go after the NFL in a way that that we've never seen it happen before. It might not be this deal. Maybe it's the next deal or whatever. All right. So let's talk. Mm -hmm. Let's talk some football stuff. That was a great game last night. I left that one going, you know, um, I really like Arizona. Um, Green Bay after just a, a week one, what the hell was that thing? Look yeah. about as strong as anyone in the league. By the way, did you get any insight into that? Like week one into, all right, now we got out of our system and the team they've become.
1: Yeah, you know, I think part of it, it, it was interesting having talked to, talked to people and in, in, within the organization um, on just the importance of the off season. And I think that like there were a lot of teams that felt this way in week one. Losing the spring was a big deal. Um, and the reason why wasn't, just the amount of work that you lost. It was also that because of that, teams were tinkering with different approaches on how to handle training camp, right? Like because you don't want to go out there and get your guys hurt, yet you're you're missing like nine weeks of ramp up, you know. So everybody was approaching training camp a little bit differently. Everybody was approaching the preseason games a little bit differently, and um, you know, I, I I I talked to Matt Lafleur about it, and I I, I asked him this was a couple of weeks ago. And he said, yeah, I look back at that now and I view it as like, it it looked on tape like a a first preseason game. You know, like when you watched our starters play, like you saw like the Saints looked like they were in regular season mode. And we looked like a team that was just playing its first preseason game. And he's like, I think part of that is a result of us not playing anyone in the preseason. You know, and us maybe being a little more careful and ramping guys up because we've got a more veteran team. I thought that was actually a really interesting explanation. So um, and I think Lafleur has done a lot of things, right. But it was interesting to see him like, kind of like, you know, say that one was sort of on me. And um, but you know, like they were able to turn it around really, really fast. You, you remember they, the, the second game, I thought that was a real gut check. I mean, they were behind at halftime to the Lions of the second game, you know? And since then it's just been, I mean, they've just taken off.
0: Yeah, no, they, they absolutely have. And I, I made a joke about it and I've, I've made this joke a few times, but you know, I think the number, let me double check it. I think since the start of 2019, the Packers are 33 and seven. That's the best <laughs> in the NFL. Yeah. And you've got Rodgers screaming about the franchise, the organization, the leadership, decisions. Like, you know, again, before we knew everything about the Deshaun Watson deal, I like think mm-hmm. there was real. NFL fan sympathy for Deshaun Watson's football situation. Yep. And yet Rodgers is 33 and seven with this group. And I, I can't, I can't help. I can't get over it. I can't get over it because <laughs> I go, you actually have a great situation. Okay. The yeah. Packers didn't tell you the truth about every single thing. Um, I know that you think that you should be allowed to, to be, you know, you want a standard around you that's higher than most, any other player in the league and you deserve it because you're that great. Mm-hmm. But why do you think you have it so bad? You know, I know. like this is this final. Is, is this oh. real? Like we're seeing this final season for a team that goes into Arizona, wins that game against a really good football team, missing their top three receiving options. The tight end goes down on top of everything else. And Kyler looks like he's going to come back and win this game. And yet you have a Super Bowl contender here, Breer. And he's still, is this still how he feels? It's,
1: it's cra- I, I I think that there, so I do think that there's like a, I think there were quarterbacks that became intoxicated by what happened in um in Tampa last year. And I think there are these guys that have had this in their head for a while. Like I want the whole operation centered around me. But like this is the first time it's actually worked, where like somebody went somewhere and Tampa, like it's not like they didn't have like the foundation of the team, but he went there and now all of a sudden became about his timeline, about who he wanted in the on the team, about being aggressive and acting on his timeline. And I think other quarterbacks looked at that and it's like, all right, like not only do I want that, that's what I'm competing against now. And so with some of these guys, I think it's, in, in a way, I guess the LeBronization of the NFL, it was, I want that. I want what he has. And if I go somewhere else, that team is going to be compelled to build around me that way. I think that sort of got in Aaron's head along with all of the other stuff that was going on. You know, the the grudge from the way that the communication worked and draft week in 2020 in regards to Jordan Love. And just, he sort of got the idea, well, if I go somewhere else, it's going to be centered completely on me. And I think, you know, through that, he lost sight of just how good he has it. And like you said, that's a damn good situation. And it's a stable, stable ownership or a stable organization. You look at the roster, I think it's still a top five or six roster in the NFL. He was the MVP of the league last year. And yeah, they didn't get over the top, but... I mean, they're really close, and if there's a there's there's a couple of good results, I think I, I think came from this. Number one, like they are acting more aggressively; they are taking advantage of opportunities. They signed Whitney Merciless and Jalen Smith in season. They went and got Randall Cobb, so I think that's number one is that they're they are sort of working on his timeline now. So in a way, it it, it got them to do that. Number two, I think Matt Lafleur, his ability to manage this like the emotional intelligence he's had in in managing this thing and going through this thing the way that he has and being able to balance his relationships with his bosses in the front office and then his quarterback who were, you know, at odds with each other. I think he did a great job. You know, just being able to tow that line through the spring and then and then be the point man when Rodgers came back in the summer to make sure that Rodgers was in position to perform in the fall. Um, and you can even see it. And, and I think that this is such a key thing here, Ryan. You can even see it with how he handled Randall Cobb. Because I think there are a lot of other coaches in the NFL where when a quarterback forced a guy onto the roster like that, right? And said, I want him, go get him now. There are a lot of coaches in the NFL who would feel threatened by that. And that guy would come in and maybe the coach would bury that guy or give that guy a hard time. Floor did the opposite. Randall Cobb ain't what he used to be. but. Like Matt knew like Aaron loves this guy. Aaron trusts this guy. So instead of just testing this guy and seeing if he's done, let's see what we can get out of him. And it turns out they got a lot out of him, even though he isn't the same guy as before. And what is the byproduct of that? A happier quarterback, right? So I think you add all that up and um, at least they should have a shot, I think, at keeping him beyond this year. And I mean, even that moment in Chicago, I don't know if he took it this way, but it was almost like there was like a like a school pride. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when he said, "I own you," like that wasn't just "I own you." That's the Packers own you. You know, like so. I thought that moment, like if he does wind up staying in Green Bay beyond this beyond this year, I think I'll probably, I think we'll probably look back at that as sort of a flashpoint where it's like this guy's still a Packer.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's doing the on field. I don't know what the game was so much fun. Like I didn't turn yeah. it off. Like I was writing out some notes for today's show. But yeah. I go, I want to keep all this on. And I watch his game with EA. And he, he's he got this smile on his face. Although I don't know what the hell he got into this offseason. He looks like he's aged 10 years. Um, <laughs> his face. I don't know. His, yeah. his face treatment is the opposite. And the, ha- I- and,
1: and the hair is like yeah. a little. Yeah.
0: Yeah, although Brady, I think's had some work done, so that's why Brady looks so fresh and rejuvenated all the time. That's just the theory. I have no, I have well, no, I, I mean, no somebody source.
1: brought up somebody like somebody actually brought up like a weird thing that's made it hard for me to look at Brady the same way as like when he talks his it's like only his mouth moving and I'm like yeah like then I start to watch him a little bit it's like you know what, you I'm not, you...
0: I'm not going... comfortable I'm not comfortable with this anymore so I just let's stop talking about it because I don't want to do that to Tom uh, but you know Rodgers has this joy and he's looking around and the Packers yep. fans who are just incredible that place is you know, I don't yeah. know what the ratio was, but they were loud as hell and they hung out and he's pointing at him. He's looking at him and he's telling EA, "He's like, I'm going to go and we're going to enjoy mm-hmm. this one, man, on the plane ride back. And you go, this is somebody who's who's taking it in, not taking it for granted these last few weeks. Although, is this why he is emotional? Because he's already decided. Is he, you know, he's a very it's, stubborn. He's a very prideful guy. Yeah. But I, I, I love what you said on this. So let's keep it moving here because I've talked too much a lot of mm-hmm. this, uh, this hit. Because mm-hmm. as you talk about you know, the NBA power play for the quarterbacks here. Now that Seattle looks like a mess, mm-hmm. I think the Russell Wilson thing's going to get, I think that was his, hey, can I do this and have people not hate me? And it's like, ooh, this is tough. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to try it again. And I don't know that it's because of the Seattle roster. I've said this throughout it. I, I think it's a lot of like, Russell and and his wife want to be mm-hmm. like a Jay-Z, Beyonce couple. Like, and I'm serious. I, I Whatever, they want to, create a version of of their power that I don't think they see long-term in Seattle.
1: Yeah. And those were all, I mean, somebody pointed out to me like the teams that was, I mean, how was it put? Like he's not asking for a trade,
0: but if he did ask for a trade, this would that's be what, what it, exactly what over. it was. It's like, I don't want to trade, but if you were going to trade me, here's four teams, <laughs> yeah.
1: which I, I don't know if that's happened in any sport before. Maybe it has, but it was sort of an interesting strategy. I, like one thing that, um you know, somebody who is connected to all this mentioned was like how, platform played into every one of the places. Um, Raiders, I think it was Raiders, Cowboys, Bears. Chicago, th- uh, yeah, I mean, like, platform, platform played into every single one of the teams. It wasn't so much football. It was, how can I elevate myself? And I think, you know, it's interesting because I, there were three things he wanted from Seattle coming into the year. And he got two of the three. Um, he wanted a big offensive line piece. They got, went out and got Gabe Jackson. He wanted input into where the offense was going. He had input into them hiring Shane Waldron from the Rams as the offensive coordinator. And then the third piece, he wanted more of a say in the organization. And he wanted like sort of a seat at the table. And that's where Pete and John sort of drew the line. And, you know, I, I think one of the things in the off season that a lot of people took note of, um, in, inside the league was how John Schneider showed up at Trey Lance's pro day. And it seems like a little thing, but if you go back to the history of this and you know, the history of this, the situation between the team and the player, the, a lot of this was precipitated when John Schneider showed up at Josh Allen's pro day at Wyoming three years ago. So if you were committed to walking around on eggshells and like not pissing off your quarterback, wouldn't you not, wouldn't you say, you know what, I'm going to send my scouts to Trey Lance's pro day. Right. So it's just sort of like, I, I think there was a clear drawing of the line there and you know, at, A couple months after that, when Russell agreed to come back in, it was, this is a Band-Aid. And everybody agreed that. We'll revisit it after the year. This is a Band-Aid. We're all in for 2021. Let's try to make the most of this. And then we'll talk in January or February about where we are going forward. And I know one of Russell's big things was at the end of last year, like this is where I kick off the second phase of my career and I'm going to evaluate everything the way I do everything and everything else. And a big part of that is his personal legacy. And, you know, I think a big part of how he handles coming out of this year is going to be not just where can I have team success, but where am I going to be set up to have individual success? So, you know, one day, 10, 15 years down the line, I'm wearing a gold jacket.
0: Well, he's going to get the gold jacket no matter what. I, I well, think, But well, you know what yeah. I mean? Like,
1: oh, we'll climb on that list, right. I guess is what I'm saying. The,
0: the pro day thing does nothing for me. You would know better than I would the history of the top decision maker visiting mm-hmm. while they have a franchise incumbent who's still in his prime. but. I mean, if that's if that's the standard of you getting upset and feeling disrespected.
1: Well, you've um, seen how sensitive these guys are, though.
0: Yeah, but that's not that's not that weird for a bunch of guys to be at Pro Days knowing no, they I have them. no chance. I mean, think yeah. about some of the NBA draft workouts where you're like, you're bringing in this guy? And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to get my information on him. I mean, these guys are obsessed with information. They're obsessed with evaluation. Yeah. It's their entire life. All they do is evaluate things. And so, um, yes, you're right that people can be sensitive with it, but I, I don't know. Uh, that one's different. Okay, so while we're on this, because we're kind of projecting a little bit with the the QB landscape, the market of it, which I could update literally every week because I just enjoy talking about it. How does Deshaun Watson fit in? Because I know you've been talking about that this week as well.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, like uh, as we record this, um, what four days till the trade deadline? So um, you know, I, I think really there are three parties um, when it comes to whether or not Deshaun Watson can be traded. It's, gonna be, it's Watson himself, the owner Cal McNair, and the GM Nick Casario. Watson wants out. McNair wants him out of there. Nick Casario is the one who's sort of holding the cards here. And Nick knows, and I I look, I I think he's right to think this way, that whatever happens, whatever he gets back for Deshaun Watson and whatever he does with that return is going to define his time as the general manager in Houston. Period. End of story. So he can't take 50 cents in the dollar. And I think you have to kind of like consider here, what do the Texans lose by waiting? Right. If they wait, they'll know where the draft pick they have coming back sits. Right. They won't be sending to him to a team where the draft pick is going to be devalued because he's going to play the rest of the year. They will probably have more suitors. Maybe the Giants would be involved. Maybe the Steelers would be involved. Maybe the Saints would be involved. There will be more suitors by definition. Maybe there's more clarity from the league or in the legal situation. I mean, barring like his legal situation getting worse there's I, like you can say in almost every way there's gonna be a better market for him in February or March, and I guess the downside is that you have to hold him for the rest of the year on your roster, but I don't feel like you've already weathered the storm when it comes to that, right, like you've already kind of gone through the like like the the awkwardness of having a guy making that much money, not playing you know coming in and out of your building every day so I just think Nick Casario is in a spot right now where he feels comfortable. And if somebody doesn't come with the return that he wants and that he's set for him, he's willing to sit on him for the rest of the year. The dolphins have been talking to them and I think they'll continue to talk to them up to the deadline or if a deal's done. Um, the Panthers hadn't talked to them in a couple months, checked in this week, then backed right off the Broncos and Eagles have monitored the situation, but they haven't been as active. So you know, it'll be interesting to see which way this goes because I don't think Nick is under any, I think the owner would like to have him out of there. I think Watson wants out of there. I I just, you know, I I don't think Nick's in any rush to do it because, you know, like he's resolved that I'm going to get the most I can out of the most valuable asset in my building.
0: Yeah, and look, that's fair. I mean, this isn't isn't Nick's fault and he's not supposed to just give away the asset for nothing to prove a point and then somebody else just goes ahead and grabs him um, as we still wait this all out. Do you think You'd have any idea? Again, the suitor ranking here, like, because I always feel like this is whoever brings them in is going to deal with a ton of stuff until, even if we have it resolved, all right, with Deshaun, right? But I can see certain franchises getting away with it more because of their own branding. I think geographically it'll matter yeah. too. But if it were Pittsburgh, I could just see somebody on TV saying, uh, you know, Pittsburgh just stable ownership stable front office sta- a lot of stability they'll be able to handle this it's mm-hmm. like no they just want an awesome quarterback <laughs>
1: right. Does, but the eagles, not, the, right the eagles will get up there and say like we did it with michael vick so yeah i mean i i can see what you're saying there
0: right right and i i'm sure belichick's he can't trade for him now <laughs> well maybe he could i mean i don't i don't think Kraft would
1: i i don't think i don't think he would but like you even think about some of the other teams like Washington, right? Like I, their coaches like Watson. I don't think they can do it because of everything that's happened in their building the last 20 years. Right.
0: If anything, Snyder would be like, why, why do I, I haven't cared for 20 years.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe you double, I don't know. I mean, that'd be a very weird double down, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right though, to think that way. And that, different organizations are dealing with different circumstances and the parts of the country they're in certainly play into it. Um, yeah, I certainly think like the dolphins would, uh, the dolphins are where he wants to go. And so I, you know, that's a piece of it. But, um, yeah, I, I I look at them and see like if, if they don't make the playoffs this year and they're one in six right now, and they play at Buffalo this week. So likely one in seven coming out of this year. Then Chris Greer and Brian Flores have, will have gone through three years without having made the playoffs. And then you're going into year four. If you make it to year four, and I think they will, if you make it to year four, now like everyone's job's on the line, right? And the question becomes, are you willing to stake your job to Tuatunga Veloa? And I think like he's shown some promise. I think he's been better the last couple of weeks. But are you willing to stake your job to Tuatunga Veloa? And I think that's part of the reason why right now they're looking at it and saying, you know, some of the mistakes we've made the last couple of years, if we have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, maybe we can erase some of
0: those mistakes. Anything else we need to know transactionally here?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, like with the trade deadline coming up in a few days, I, I think we've got, I think we're going to have more minor moves. Now, you're going to hear some names out there that are recognizable. Um, you know Darius Slayton and Evan Ingram from the Giants. Um, you know, Hayden Hurst has you know listed a phone call or two on uh, you know the Falcons tight end Devonte Parker from the Dolphins could be moved. Um, you know a couple of DBs. You know AJ Boye the Panthers have taken a couple calls on him. Kyle Fuller from the Broncos. I mean I think what you're going to find is it's going to be quiet this year because cap space around the league is so low. You know and I think right now it's 21 of the 32 teams have less than five million bucks in cap space and yeah you can move money around. But the thing is, because the cap went down this year, so many teams, you know, especially the contenders, have mortgaged so many of their contracts already that they don't have much more wiggle room to to move stuff around. So I think it's going to be relatively quiet. And um, and yeah, I mean, I think you know, if Deshaun makes it past Tuesday and he's still a Texan, it's going to set up for a, a really really fascinating twenty twenty two with. I think, um, and you follow this closely, Ryan. You know a a group of college quarterbacks that just hasn't been great, and I don't know that there's any surefire first rounder in that group. And um, you know, potentially a very, very rich veteran quarterback market with guys like Rodgers, Wilson, and and Watson potentially
0: out there. Let's finish it then on your Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, Are you of the belief that this team has turned it around with dominant? performances against Akron, Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana? I'm very confident in the offense. Um, I think Stroud's look great. I mean, Stroud,
1: the way he's throwing the ball, I mean, it's an advertisement for Ryan Day and his offense. Um, You know, after what they were able to get out of Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields the last three years, and now you see this. Um, it feels like a continuation of that. You know, the two receivers might be first round picks. The running back might be the best player on the offense and the lines. Great. It's going to come down to the defense and whether or not the defense is really fixed. Um, they've done a nice job of kind of settling things down over there. The amount of scheme change in season has been pretty staggering though. So I'll be interested to see as they play the Penn States, the Michigan States, the Michigans, if some of that stuff holds up, you know what I mean? Like, cause they've got athletes over there. No question. I'm just going to be interested to see what it looks like when their, their defense is tested a little bit more full faith in the offense. I think the offense has is 100% a national championship offense. And I would love to see the offense play against Georgia's defense. I think those are probably the top two units period in the country. Um, you know, it's going to come down to just how much better the defense really is and whether or not the improvement of last month is real.
0: And the way Penn state's going on offense, that's even with Clifford back, uh, you, you may not yeah, I know, and that's may the not thing know. Is like
1: it might not even you might not see much i mean you know so is it playing against kenneth walker and michigan state is it i mean even like you know, even the even if you the can't bat- stop
0: a running back if a running back destroys you defensively for the like, it just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> well, like guys are big against, numbers that's
1: what that's what happened against oregon though
0: <laughs> I, I see. Look, I thought Anthony Brown was like the best version I've ever seen of him for about three quarters. Um, well, that's
1: because that's because like three run plays were like, like it was like a, they were like money plays in like Madden Ninety Seven. No, it you know was like tight boundary.
0: It was like the, like, boundary, yeah, was like the corner out. Yeah. yeah, the
1: corner out to like Antonio Freeman in like uh, in Madden Ninety Eight.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was always my move. Was I'd always hot route the slot guy. I, yeah, you do have like the I little would,
1: swing route out, like yeah. the little swing so, route out in the
0: slot. I'd have and the how, other like, guy take it to the to the, to the boundary to try yeah. to pull anything over, and I could always get the seam guy. And it wasn't even a post, but he would stay inside enough. It was just a perfect little... But you have to change the route every time. And the thing yeah. is, is that then you had to start like doing dummy hot routes if you were playing somebody because they would figure out like, oh, you just hot route. they just me. go like station they, somebody over there. Well, yeah. yeah, but then you got a guy with a Madden controller trying to play... Seriously, one-on-one defense against a route with a linebacker <laughs> and you're backpedaling and trying to like cut <laughs> off the throw. That that was a level. That was kind of like I remember with with hockey, which was still the best, 94 was was still the greatest game ever made. And once it was you could control your own goalie, guys started sliding the goalie across for the yep. drive-bys. Yeah. Because it the was counter, the, the
1: back and forth move that got everybody at first. Yeah. That
0: was 93, 94. Yeah. It was the inside Deke, and then yeah. you finish on the outside. Right. Once you controlled the goalie, there was a better way of like the, the Deke didn't work as well. And you you started doing more drive bys. And then sometimes guys would, would out like if you showed up to another house, they're like, oh, you do drive bys. Like we don't, we don't allow that in the house. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. taking the Blackhawks. You can't do it. And like, yep. okay, fine. No problem. Um, <laughs> I just never forget the first time a guy did it to me so I'm 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 defending the drive-by I goalie up I I slide with him you know I'm going with him and he brought the drive-by to one time it to a guy at the point slap shot in waiting for my goalie to move out of the way and I went oh wow. I'm like, okay. Well, that's where you just tip your hat, right? Yeah. Like, that's well, then that like- be- that became the thing because then <laughs> yeah. you decided to start like fake, <laughs> pretend you were going with the drive by, goalied up, and then you come back, love to save come back on to the, the one slot, boom. right? Yeah. And I remember being like, okay, and it's it's basically, it's what real athletes do. They adapt and they counter the counter.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. I feel like. I I feel like we even see elements of it in the way guys coach today. You know what I mean? Like, cause like all these guys are like our age now. So like all these, like, I feel like, I feel there are certain things, like even like clock management. Like, I don't know any how anybody our age, like who's a football coach would screw up a two minute situation anymore because I've been running two minute offense since I was like eight years old. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) I still, to this day, I remember getting back. In early 20s, getting back from the bars and my good friend out of Boston, Noah Luskin, he was like, all right, let's fire up Madden. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. but you don't really know what you're going to do. You don't know what you're doing, right? And he was like, just give me the Ravens. It was right after the Ravens. He was like, give me the Ravens defense. I'll at least be able to be a little competitive, even though I haven't played. And the reason I'll never forget this matchup was because he didn't quite know what he was doing and didn't have go-tos because it's been a while. He had an eight-minute drive on five-minute quarters. So he got the ball on kickoff. And his oh, possession didn't end until, until two a minutes war. left in the half. And I've never seen anything like it. He ran an eight minute offense on Madden and he scored. And, you know, he wasn't even, he wasn't necessarily trying to do it, but once he realized he was doing it and then he was like, I'm just going to take the ball out of Rosillo's hands here. It's the only way I can compete.
1: I mean, like, like that's, that's clock management right there. I mean, I don't know. It's, eight
0: minutes, one yeah. possession on a video game.
1: That's genius. Absolutely genius. We, uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but like one of our moves coming back from the bars um, would be to, uh, I had my one buddy who was a real degenerate and he came up with the idea that we would just let the computer play um, and gamble on the games NCAA and Madden. When we get back from the bars, we'd throw on like, uh, all right, like let's, let's throw on like USC, Notre Dame. And we put a point spread on it and then bet on it. And it was, it was like why it was actually wildly entertaining.
0: Yeah, I could totally see that. I know yeah. it was bad for me in the early two thousands when um I didn't have any money, so it was a big source of entertainment. But I was I was just simulating twenty seasons deep. I wasn't okay. even I didn't even care anymore. You know, I would draft, you know, Bam. JJ Smith safety Fresno State, and I I you know, I would be so proud by his fifth year when he's making Pro Bowls and had like a ninety eight awareness rating. Oh, I'm yeah. like this the second rounder from Fresno. I but knew it.
1: I love dynasty mode in NCA because I thought the recruiting, the recruiting was great. And then you dress yes. them up, you give them the face yeah. mask, you give them the right face mask, the visor on them, the cowboy collar, like get your, you know, get your, like, you know, your Mike linebacker wearing a single digit. Like, so like after a couple of recruiting classes, they all look like a bunch of badass. Like it usually looks like you've got like this, like team full of boss out
0: there. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But taller, but they're still quick. <laughs> Because Van Pelt used to do that. I mean, nobody... I'll put Van Pelt as a one seed of guys who spent way too much time as an adult recruiting fictional people for a video game. (laughs) Yeah, and he was like...
1: like, like There were always like... You'd recruit a guy who was like a five-star, but he had like a bad name, so you'd have to change the name to make him sound cooler.
0: I don't know. (laughs) I just remember he made Stanford Steve, but he did Maryland franchises, and he would come into work every week or so, and he'd be like, or you know, however long it took him to do the season, and I think he could probably bang out close to a season in a week because he was getting back from Sports Center. He's a night owl; he'd yeah. stay up all night, and then he'd come in the morning. I think there was a moment where he's like, well, "I'm going to get a family. I'm going to get a family because this is <laughs> this is insane how old I am and that I'm still doing this every single night." But he'd come in legitimately, like bummed out. He's like, "I fucking lost Stanford Steve to Penn State again," or nah. then he's like, "I lost because I was like, well, because you're Maryland. I'm like, yeah. you got it. You got to put him in your backyard." He goes, "I put him in my backyard." and he goes to Penn State because of Maryland or he'll go to, mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes I'll lose him to Ohio State or whatever. He's like, I got to keep winning. He's like, I just got to raise the profile of the program and then that way I can lock in Stanford. When he got Stanford Steve to sign one season, happiest I've ever seen him. All right, we're done. <laughs> right, right I'm up sorry. Right
1: the, there with the birth of his kids. <laughs> yeah, he,
0: was, he came in early that day. I was like, guys, closed him. All right, thank you very much. Awesome, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you having me. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where... Arby's new two for five dollar chicken wraps come in available in your choice of ranch, barbecue and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. I always like the beginning of, of everybody's story, so I'm, I'm sure you've had to tell this, and I've, I've read a bunch of your interviews. You know, you go to Harvard to study something, and you end up writing for Lampoon. So what was that like for you?
2: Ryan, you do your research. I appreciate it, man. I, listening to other interviews, I'm sorry you had to do that.
0: No, it was good. You got some <laughs> rapid-fire ones in there. You started yeah. talking about how people were trashing Citizen Kane, and you were like, it was a good way to... As somebody who does something that's in the public eye, however they consume it, um unless you were totally full of shit, I thought your answer about criticism was really good
2: well, I appreciate it, I appreciate it at least I talked fast you got got through the interviews pretty fast no uh, yeah i it was it was weird man I, I definitely you know grew up in Riverside, California, which is you know not too far from l a but spiritually very, very different. you know people didn't necessarily go into this industry and and i didn't know anyone in entertainment, you know my parents are immigrants and uh you know my mom 's a high school teacher my dad's a was an o b g y n and so I, I was you know, I always loved television and film. Always, always, you know, it was Back to the Future, Jurassic Park and a lot of comedy, you know, Seinfeld, Simpsons, SNL, all that stuff. And, um, but I, it, I had no, I inkling this was a job. And, and like you said, I went to college and I went to Harvard and I majored in biology. And, you know, that's definitely a, classic Asian American kid pre-professional path to maybe being a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman. Those are pretty much your only options, otherwise your parents are gonna be very disappointed. Uh, so, but I, I started doing a couple of things in, in college. I uh, I started playing in a punk rock band. I loved punk rock, and and I listened to Scott in high school because I was a Southern California kid, um, and so I, I did that. and And I, I started writing for this magazine, like you said, the the Harvard Lampoon, which, um, yeah, it's it's a really weird place, and I I didn't know what it was till I got to school, and and it, it it's kind of hard to get on, and and you just got to write a bunch of comedy pieces. It's very very nerdy, and it's full of uh, it's full of outcasts. It's like if you go to Harvard, like it's already Harvard's already like kind of a school of dorks right it's like it's like nerds right so but but it's almost like the outcast among the outcasts but it was really fun and and you know like conan o'brien wrote for it and 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 a bunch of people and um you know i i did his, his podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and we talked about you know being on staff there and what it was like and how it had changed over the years so that really gave me sort of the confidence slash insanity to move out to la and be unemployed and just try to write scripts and, and get a job and so that was the beginning for me
0: yeah, and now was Carson Daly the first paid deal?
2: Absolutely, yeah. It was It was literally like my first meeting ever was with Jay Leno for The Tonight Show when I was like 20, and I didn't get that job. I was like, but I'm doing great. I got a meeting with The Tonight <laughs> okay. Show. Okay, give yeah.
0: me... Give me the story you tell about sitting down with Leno and then not like the difference between because anybody that's ever pitched anything, there's like two different types of people. The person that thinks they killed every fucking pitch ever. Yeah. And then the person who thinks, the, you know, they have to pack up their house after every meeting. So
2: uh, I'm the former for for better, or for worse. I feel like everything's I'm a very optimistic person. I like very positive. And like, even when shit goes bad, I'm like, you know, there's a silver lining here. It's like, shut the fuck up, man. But but uh, no, I, I, I honestly I didn't have an agent or anything. I moved out to L.A. I was living in. An apartment with my friend. I, you know, we're splitting the rent. I was paying six hundred bucks a month. I lived across from ride and on, on Fairfax. And and suddenly, this agent who had hitpocketed pocketed me. You know, this is what they call hip pocketing. is like, they're just blasting your stuff out to everybody just in case they get a bite. And then if you get a job, suddenly they're your agent. You know, they're not really your agent unless you get a job. So I had this this smaller agent. You know, sent my stuff and it got somehow to the Tonight Show just a packet of like jokes. And it happened to be a Letterman packet. Cause I actually watched more Letterman than, 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 than Leno. So anyway, I got this meeting with, with, with Leno and his head writer. And he's like, yeah, we're like looking for some, some young blood. And like, you know, your, your packet was funny and, 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 and all this stuff. So the meeting went, I thought it went fine. I, you know, it was whatever. It was very green. And at the end of the meeting, Leno's was like, it's just, just, just to, just to be clear, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 20. And he's like, I'm not gonna hire you, man. <laughs> My youngest writer's 53 or whatever. He's like, come back in five years. We want some you young some blood, 40s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, 49. It's like we we want it. We want because you graduated
0: dads. what early, or were you just young for your age
2: in yeah, class? Yeah, I, I I went to college a year early because I, I, the the high school I went to. It was kind of a big public high school, but I was kind of you know moved ahead in some stuff, so I just kind of ran out of classes, so I was like i'll just apply to a bunch of colleges and 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 I got in so I went to high uh, college young and and then I graduated young, but after that meeting, you know I called this fake agent of mine and it was like. I thought it went great. Like he said, I definitely didn't get the job. He's like, well, then it didn't go so great. But I, but I was optimistic. I was like, well, I got a meeting, whatever. And then I had nothing for at least a year, year and a half, something like that. You know, just trying to get by and and, and whatever. And then my first job, like you said, was Carson Daly in New York. So I went to Carson Daly, which was a 1:30 a.m. talk show. So instead of the 11:31, I I got to work on the 1:30 a.m. one. But it was really fun. It was a good. It was a good place for like a you know 22 year old. Is again very lucky to 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 work as a writer on any show, to be honest.
0: So tell me the difference between, you know, whether it's you're writing an episode of Parks or, you know, the parents episode that you wrote with Aziz, who, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit at some point. Um, but I imagine, you know, whatever you're working on pilots features and then writing for a late night show, like how different are those beats?
2: It's, it's, it's very, very different. It's almost like boot camp, right? It's like, I've been fortunate to work on a huge variety of stuff. Like I started on a Again, one thirty a.m. late night show. I, I worked on South Park for a little bit as an animated show. And um, then Parks and Rec is kind of a mockumentary. And then Master of None was kind of like, well, there's a little bit of social commentary. You know, then I directed a movie that was a drama. So it's all, you know, they're, they're very different. Like all of those are very different. And, and especially between late night and, and sort of sketch and then and then scripted. Right. So when I started on Parks and Rec, I was really just learning. Totally learning. I was a baby writer, you know. Uh, you start from from late night, which was a lot more similar to what we did on the Lampoon, which is just very, very, you know, joke heavy. You know, I would come in and write. 30 monologue jokes and I know the people for Fallon or whoever come in and write 100 if you're a monologue writer like that seems like a real grind it's really tough but we got to also you know write sketches and produce bits and act in them and edit them and cast them and all that stuff and so it was kind of a baby version of being on one of those late night shows or SNL or whatever you know and and no one was watching because it was 130 and Carson was a super sweet boss so we just kind of It was almost inmates running the asylum. You know, most of those shows have 20 writers. We had three or four. And so we were just kind of doing our own thing. And then when I got to Parks and Rec, I had to learn about story, you know, and it turns out, you know, when you're a kid or or when you're a college student or whatever, just starting out, I think you think about comedy a lot. and You think about, you know, joke density and what's funny, honestly, and and trying to make your friends laugh. and, And that's all really important. And then I think when it comes to building a show or writing a movie or anything like that, you start learning about story structure and characters and motivations and all of those aspects that I had no idea about. And I was fortunate to get to work with Mike Schur and Greg Daniels. And before that, you know, Trey Parker, and Matt Stone, very briefly, just, you know, listening to those guys who know what they're doing. And, and and learning from them, and 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 building a show from scratch is very very difficult. <laughs> it's it, there's a lot of ingredients, and in, and it's more than just comedy. You know, there's shows that are just pure comedy, right? So so if you look at you know, I don't know Thirty Rock or Seinfeld, they're they're very much more pure comedy. Although there's story to those shows too. But if you look at you know the office or parks, like it, it's very much slow over time. You know you're building characters, you're building worlds, you're building relationships, and 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 that's all stuff I had to learn and and hopefully learned a little bit of from those guys.
0: Yeah, the office origin, and you know, like everybody loved the first one, and then I, I love this one, and I love what Greg Daniels did, I love what Mike Schur did, and then you know sure's kind of hey, well, all right, figure it out with Parks and Rec, and. And even Office itself needed to find its own identity, even though it was based on the exact same show. Uh, how much of that was the process? And again, I, I know you did 16 episodes, so I don't know perfectly your timeline and what your involvement was. But I imagine even if you weren't there at the beginning, there's the carryover of, okay, yes, we know with the camera and, and the approach how similar this is, but we need to now find our own identity, which always feels like in the most successful shows, It's even if the show was good the first two seasons, it always feels like when it really pops is like season three and season four.
2: I agree. And that's why it's so tough with shows now. Cause you're expected with the first season to be amazing. Otherwise you get thrown by the wayside. Right. And those shows, we had the luxury of, of developing, you know, it was, you know, when we started on parks, we, we, we had a while to find our footing and you watch, you know, watching these new, not new, I was watching the episodes again with, with Rob, you forget a lot of this stuff, man. It, it was 12 years ago, 11 years ago, whatever it was. And, and, Um, It just makes me relive all of those moments in the writer's room when it was like it was not obvious who the characters were. You have to just really grind it out and figure it out kind of as you go. Some of these shows, they come out fully formed and and they're perfect from the pilot on. But, you know, with those shows and and the way those guys write, you write to your actor's strengths. You write towards the writer's strengths. You write towards what seems to be working in the show. And and that's kind of the luxury in some ways of those network shows is the seasons are so long. That's also the difficulty, right? You're writing as you're shooting and editing. That's really hard. But you get feedback. You're watching the first five episodes. You're watching the first eight episodes. And in the case of Parks, you're watching the first season. You see six episodes and you see the evolution of the show, not just from season one to two, but from the pilot to even episode six of that season. If you watch episode six, it's called Rock Show, which we're actually, you know, we, we just did uh, with Chris Pratt. Like, it's so different from the pilot, and that's over the course of six episodes. And then you'll see, you know, in season two, it's like, oh, it's kind of become the show people recognize, which is much faster, a little sillier, and much more about the town than just this workplace, which is all kind of things that differentiated it from the office, which, which obviously Mike and Greg had worked on. But... The show found its own voice, and it and it's very different, and it's a it's a much different tone in some ways, even though the camera shooting
0: style is similar. It is tonally, it is it is very different. Like I still think, and and you've done a good job of explaining this for people, like where Office always kind of had, like I you know me growing up watching shows in the '80s, like Different Strokes yeah. always had a lesson at the end, which sounds stupid, but yeah. it was like, hey, silver spoons can't end unless we've all learned something here. Yeah, <laughs> and yet. You know, there was always a Michael Scott element to the office where there was there was a lesson, you know, and all the other stuff. And the same thing with Leslie. Yeah.
3: Um
0: yeah. which is what I think is similar, but you're right, it's it's softer, it's warmer. You know, I think the office which I do like is how harsh it can be at times and blunt. No um that Parks and Rec was never a blunt object as much. It,
2: absolutely. It became so optimistic and I think that's one of the reasons I I really loved writing for it because as I mentioned I'm a really fucking optimistic person. So, <laughs> you know, it really it really kind of fit and and that comes from Mike, right? So, so Mike kind of became the sole showrunner after a while and he always has such a positive view in his shows and his his shows are funny but they're also really warm and really heartfelt and they're about people connecting. And I think that's one thing Mike and I have in common, you know, as people and as as showrunners, and that's just the direction we lean towards. And that's why Parks kind of, you know, when he was running that show kind of became what it was. And, but you're right. Like the whole thing about, you know, you're joking about silver spoons or growing pains or whatever it is like, you know, if that was the simple version, but honestly it's very cyclical, right? You had that. And then you had the nineties, very cynical sort of Seinfeld. There's no lessons, right? They said no hugging, no learning. And then we kind of went that direction. We kind of keep more cynical. And then there was a reaction to that. It's like, well, what if, you know, we're sick of that? And it's not the '90s anymore. It, I feel like it's like fashion, right? It's it's like you get you get skinny skinny jeans and then you go big jeans, and we're going back to big jeans now, right? It's like we're going back to wide leg jeans, and 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 because people want to rebel against what became before. So I think that happens with with all genres, comedy included.
0: You mentioned something too about speed, because if you go back and watch any early Seinfeld, I'm like, I like this. I think like, this is the slowest. It's moving molasses show, <laughs> and. I don't think Parks and Rec it certainly wasn't slow like that, but the pace of it, the pace of it picks up and I, I guess like, okay, so you're doing the, the stuff with Rob Lowe that we mentioned at the top, Parks and Recollection, the podcast that's out. Yeah. I mean, you're directing a couple of these episodes, right? You're, you're writing a bunch of these. How weird is it for you to now binge it, consume it? Like, how did you, let me, let me ask it this way now, as I finally figured out what I want to fucking ask you. <laughs> um, how did you watch the shows when you were working on it or did you?
2: I actually would. The the, here's the thing: like you're so in it, and you're you're, there's so many episodes. So I, it's it's almost foreign to me now because all the shows I work on now, we do ten a year, or eight a year, or even Master None Last Season. We did five episodes, and like during Parks and Rec, the 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 heat of that one year, we did thirty. And if you're doing thirty episodes of a show, you can't even. People are, you can't catch your breath. You're at work late, you're working on weekends. Like, how, I, the, I can't. I still can't fathom how we did that. And can you, it's, it's can you, crazy. in the
0: middle of this answer, give us a timeline of what a 30-episode work season is like? Give me how many days in a row, in, out of the office. Give us a sense of how long that work schedule was.
2: Absolutely. So that was basically season two was 24 episodes long, and then Amy Poehler got pregnant, and NBC was like, we need six more because we know you're going to miss some time. You're going to be massively pregnant, so shoot six more at the end of season two. Those will be the first six of season three. By the way, the kicker was season three. They pushed us to mid-season, so we didn't need to do that anyway. And uh, no one was happy about that. But we did thirty in a row it. And, and and there's you know there's no days off because you you basically you do a little pre-writing session. You know, it's a month or two of let's get as far ahead as possible. So let's write four five episodes. Hopefully, you get the. I mean, maybe you get that done. You plan out the arc for the whole season. You figure out what all the characters are doing doing throughout the season, and then. You're in it. And then suddenly the machine grinds up those scripts and it's like, oh shit, we've shot four of those and now we're we're only one ahead or we're two ahead. And we're doing a table read. Oh, the table read didn't go that well. You know, you do the table read, you know, we four days before you shoot or three days. Uh oh, we have to rewrite that. That shoot up more of our lead time. And then suddenly you're like, you're writing for next week's episode <laughs> or whatever, right? You you hope you have them coming in. And that was actually a very well run show. Mike is a really great showrunner. So we were organized enough such that it was never like we're writing scenes for that day, but that I've heard about that happening on other shows. We're like, Oh God, we're so far behind. Like let's get some pages into actor X now so that they can shoot the scene that that has happened before. And that is a true nightmare, but it's, it's really the showrunner is really the nightmare job on that show for me as a writer. You know, I come in, I, I help the showrunner and I do the best I can. I might write drafts or whatever, but the showrunner is not only writing all the scripts or going doing passes on them. He or she is also sometimes on set, you know, for shows that I do now, I'm on set for everything. I'm directing some of them as well. And I'm also editing, right? So we're also like you're at ed- you're so you're editing. You're getting notes from the studio, the network, your production company, maybe your star. They're all giving you notes on the scripts, on the outlines, on the edits. You're also shooting as this is going. Which, as you guys know, and Ayazi is about to strike potentially. Those days are 14, 15 hours. So there's there's a million places for you to be, and not making this job sound very stressful, which it is. But man, take that and multiply it. Go to 30 episodes a year. That's when you're like, oh, there's no, there's no time off. And then maybe, maybe if you have a 22 episode season or something, you'll get a break at the end of the season, and then you'll take a month or two off, maybe, and then get into the next season. But there's no respite for a network show. That that that's a world that I haven't been in in a while. I'm like me and Aziz, or me and Matt Hubbard and Maya Rudolph when we do a show. It's like let's do 10, you know, (laughs) let's do 10, and that by itself, that's a, you know, by the way, that's as big as a movie in some ways because you know a 10 episode even if it's a half hour show that might be a 60 70 day shoot that's longer that that's like a marvel movie i mean like that's like that's a long time so um you know there's there's it's i don't want to make it sound like it's a hard job it's it's a really fun job and it's a really it's a huge privilege to get to do but there's a lot there's a lot of work to be done when you do. doing
0: yeah i don't think people understand like the amount of time that's in yeah. a room i you know one of my old oldest friends, Bill Callahan, who was on Spin City, he was on Scrubs with Bill Lawrence. And you know, I was at a birthday party for him not that long ago. And it was funny because everybody gave up and gave toasts and it was like half a table of comedy writers. And it was, I would have paid money to watch it if I didn't know anyone there. And yeah. it's, I think people can always like turn on TV. And again, when I grew up, it was very formulaic. It was like set up, set up, laugh track, set up, set up, laugh track. And you know I don't think a lot of comedy people grow up going That's exactly what I want to do. Um, but you know, paid gigs are paid gigs, and some of these shows absolutely work, but you'll, you'll see the, I don't know. It was just weird to be at this dinner and to see all these guys that like everyone took turns being the funniest person in the room. And I think people from the outside can be like, oh, none of these guys in Hollywood are funny. And you're like, they're actually insanely funny. It just sometimes does stuff doesn't work. That's Yeah, absolutely. You
2: know, well, well, that's my mom, right? My mom's like, why is everything so bad? I'm like, mom, people, <laughs> I guarantee you people are actually pretty talented and trying. It's just you know, look, 95% of everything is bad, right? 90, 90% of restaurants are kind of bad, right? It's like, the, 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 there's the, there's a lot of, like, it's just accentuated more when when you're turning on your streaming service or whatever. And it's like, why are these shows bad? It's, art is, a lot of art is bad, you know? It's like, there's there's actually talented people. It's funny, you know, you should mention, like, it's, it, it, you get spoiled when you're in, in this world, right? When you're working with comedy people or writers or whoever, like, they are talented and they're very sort of creative, you know, I, I find them to be very intelligent and stimulating people. We were me and my girlfriend uh, were having dinner with uh, uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon, who we do Little America with. And and Kumail and I were talking. He was like, "I just take it for granted how smart and funny everyone I know, like all my friends are now, because they're just they're all writers, actors, whatever, and they they just." you know, if especially standups, whatever, like you, you've honed it, right? If you hang out in a room, they might not be the friendliest people, but they're, they are funny. Like you said, it's the wedding toast thing. Then you go to a, a wedding that's non-comedy people are like, why isn't this like guy as funny as like the funniest standup in the world? It's like, yeah, that's a normal guy. He's like an accountant or something. Cut on some slack. He has other skills, but that's how you feel sometimes at a wedding, you know?
0: That's why you always tell anybody They're like, what do you do? Be like, go sincere. Be like, unless you're really funny, yeah, go sincere <laughs> because it's not, it's not going to like, I don't know. I don't no, know. No, that's the work. best
2: thing. Also, right? yeah. you, you're you a comedian. You're your comedian. Tell me a joke. Say something funny. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I can tell you about how to break a story. Maybe when I do that, <laughs> like I can tell you what I look for in a screenplay. <laughs> it's, it'll, it'll be boring. But
0: it, I'm, I can't believe I remember this because I did interrupt you when you were giving us this answer. Um, but give me let's go back to what you were halfway answering, which is yeah. my fault for interrupting you. But on the now consuming it removed. Getting to consume in a completely different way, because I I made this joke that when I was when I first moved to L.A., I was working very little and I was working on other stuff. So I had a lot of free time and it was one of the first times I'd ever really binge watched a show. I know everybody does it. I normally can't just be like, you watch seven episodes in one day. Like, how could you even like anything that much? And I started watching The Office religiously, just binging. I was like, whatever. And then I noticed I was like, man, Pam kind of sucks week to week. Yeah. Like when you get a week off from her, she's America's sweetheart. I go four episodes in a row. You start noticing some flaws there, which I actually asked Rain Wilson about on Get Up. And he looked at me like I was the worst person of all time. But I had to. <laughs> I, had to. I had to stay. I had I've stay heard the character. same thing.
2: No, I've heard the same thing about Jim and Pam because they're, you know, America was in love with them. Right. And but if you binge it, it's it's you. And also the, the the distance of time, right? The remove of time, and 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 our attitudes have changed. All of that stuff is true. So I was, so it was actually fascinating. The reason, you know, the right? So started, take it back to your show, yeah. Absolutely, exactly. yeah. The reason the reason I started doing the pod was Rob Lowe just called me. He's like, "Hey, you want to do this? It could be fun." I was like, "Yeah, sounds fun. Let, let's do it." I mean, we're we're busy people, but we can kind of record a few at a time, etc. And so it it I and and I was to be totally honest, I was like after I said yes, I was like, wait a minute, did I just commit to watching a bunch of this show? And is it going to be annoying? And I found that it's really fun. (laughs) Like it's fun to watch the show because it's so, it's very light. It's, it's very relaxing and it's fun to talk about, but I haven't seen some of these episodes in 10 years. You know, that's true. Like I'm not going, I'm not like watch, I'm not binging a show I worked on. You know what I mean? Like I've seen the show, but but you watch it, and I really, I, I think I have a newfound respect for the work that we were putting in, and of course for Mike for running that show because it's it a show that works is is just it, you appreciate it more. Having worked you know in the business for a long time now a lot of ingredients have to be in place. You know, The writing has to be good, the, sh- the directing has to be good, the cast has to be good. The cast of that show is incredible. I mean, it, it's all people who went on to star in their own shows and or became movie stars, right? It's a really loaded cast. And so I've actually really enjoyed watching the show again. I've noticed a few different things. And to be honest, I'm now working on a show that's kind of a, a ensemble comedy. I'm doing it with with Matt Hubbard and, and Maya Rudolph for for Apple. And that show has some DNA of like workplace ensemble comedies. It, to us, it feels like the next evolution of that, right? There's a little bit more, you know, quote unquote, filmmaking involved. It's not mockumentary style, none of that. But it's very heartfelt. It's optimistic. And it's just set in 2022 instead of, you know, 2012. And, and so watching Parks and Rec has been like, oh, this is interesting. This is, these are how these dynamics are working. And this is how a long running show can work. So it, yeah, it's 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 a totally different thing, and and I remember little. It's also like a trip down memory lane. You're like, oh, I remember when I was you know 27 working on that episode or whatever it was, and where I was in life, and how our own life seeped into it. You know, a trip that me and Aziz took. You know, we ma- would make a joke about it in the sh- and it gets in the show, right? And it's like, oh, we went to Universal City Walk and and saw some dumb shit on Universal City Walk and like the merch they were selling. Oh, Tom Haverford, Mike, like that, let's buy some and have his character wear it in the show. Like that was happening at the time. And and you remember that. And that's kind of cool, right? It's a show that people are still watching oh, on Peacock or whatever, right?
0: Okay, um, gotta have all these things off of that answer. I had these quick notes. Um, what's Rob Lowe like? Let's, let's do that one. Because it feels like, I feel like if you hung out with Owen Wilson, you'd be like, why aren't you more like Owen Wilson? Because <laughs> he's been... Uh- Owen Wilson in in a lot of lot of movies and and in, in here in a new TV show and I'm a an Owen Wilson fan. Bottle Rockets one of my all time favorite movies. But I think Rob Lowe. Some people would be like, why aren't you more like Rob Lowe? What's going on? I
2: would say if you spent to me, I mean, all my interactions with him, the more time I spend with him, you couldn't be more Rob Lowe. You are exact. You are exactly what people think. He's very, you know, he's got a little bit of. Chris Trager in him and a little bit of Sam Seaboard in him. He's very positive. He's very energetic. You know, he's a little bit older than I am. Like, I'm very energetic. He easily keeps up with me and we'll just cycle through these podcasts. And 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 the the funniest thing to me about Rob, he, I really highly recommend his book. And this is not just because we host a podcast. He has a book called Stories I Only Tell My Friends. And I read that book when it came out, you know, 10 years ago, or whatever he was on the show. And, and you know, he, he sent me a copy or whatever. And I, I read it. It's an incredible book. And I hear the audiobook's even better because it's him telling the stories in his own, you know, his own voice. And and but he does, dude. The dude's been famous for forty years, and he just has a story about literally every person. So it, it in the pilot of Parks and Recollection, we're just talking whatever story, whatever stories we're swapping about the pilot, and he's saying, "Yeah, that reminds me of stories. That I was at my house, and 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 I was having a party, and I was sitting in between." Chris Martin and Oprah. And it's like, that. it's always just like, he just, every story is like that. Like the book is like that too. It's like, and that young woman who came in and sang that day grew up and became Janet Jackson. And it's, it's <laughs> always, it's always, it's every, but every story ends with, it's a famous person because like he is a famous person. And like, if you look at his other podcasts, he was like, you know, I went on his podcast to just chat about the, our, our new show. And he was like, we have to figure out the right date for you. Uh, it's you and then Jen Aniston and then Gwyneth. And I was like, oh, okay, well you have, like you can bump me for Jennifer Aniston. She's a bigger name than I am. Um, but no, he's just lived this life for so long. And I remember even meeting him or, or when he was working on Parks and Rec because, you know, going back to the schedule on the show, the writers don't get hiatuses, right? The, the, the actors and the crew, you know, they take a week off here and there because they can, you can't shoot like, you know, 50 weeks in a row. There's generally some weeks off. And so the writers are still writing, trying to catch up. And he would come back in and, 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 you know, he's like fresh off a of, uh, you know, he, he, I remember distinctly at Parks and Rec, he would come back from a hiatus and we'd be like, Rob, uh, you know, how you been? He's like, how's your hiatus? He's like, well, you know, I took a boat off the coast of Sardinia and me and my business partners decided to buy Miramax or whatever, whatever story. It's always something like that. Right. And it's like, for me, we were like, oh, well we, we were working on writing episode 16. It's Okay, I think <laughs> like we, we've been in the same room the whole time while you were in Sardinia
0: or wherever, right? He actually sounds like a terrible guy to have a long-term <laughs> podcast with because it'd no, be like, like "Hey, Alan, stories. I can't make it. I'm in, I'm in Reykjavik again for yeah. a taco festival." Uh, no, uh, no, I, no
2: I, 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 I think we get along because, because at least in my off time, I like to do some of that shit on a lower level anyway. So we, we're, we're, we're swapping travel tips at least.
0: Okay, I have three more things. Um, sure. Is there a oh those guys are doing it when the two guys decide they're going to do the Parks and Rec podcast because I've wondered with um oh got I, I know it's Jenna Fisher plays Pam and then Angela Yeah,
2: Angela and yeah Angela and Jenna I just we just recorded right. some uh co co promos for each other's podcasts because they so they recorded one for ours and we recorded one for theirs
0: because because <laughs> I wonder because I I think I know enough at least about my business I think there's some very very uh, very common similarities that. Like, do you think Creed ever goes off? Oh, fuck. Like I should have done that.
2: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that probably, thing's blowing up. Yeah, man. Creed and Oscar being like, God damn it. <laughs> like, No, I, I, I honestly was just like, I, I, I didn't think about it too much. Again, this is a recurring theme in this podcast. Like, apparently I do not have that many anxieties, but Rob called me. I was like, yeah, this sounds fun. I'll do it. So I wasn't like, man, I didn't take a poll of everybody else. I'm sure if, uh, uh, like if I is did, Jerry hate
0: you right now, I, I, you know, well,
2: Jerry, by the way, Jerry just recorded an episode on Sunday. He was so happy. So, okay. Okay, Jerry, Jerry Jerry doesn't hate anybody. I'll tell you that. Jim O'Hare is the sweetest guy in the world. So I recorded with him. We recorded with him on Sunday and he was so sweet. So you
0: know, I love Jim O'Hare in, in every scene he's ever been in, in anything. When he's in Veep getting mad at Danny Egan for <laughs> sleeping with both of his daughters. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the episode where he's just like, hey, why don't you you know, what are you trying to, you know, because he was basically like insinuating that he also want to sleep with his wife I think. Yeah. Um, I My only critique of of parks and rec was that i just wish jerry there could have been you know a a jerry every jerry scene was the best which is probably why i didn't need more jerry so you guys probably made the right call so i'm I'm not going to be a guy on the outside telling what you did right or wrong but i just love jerry
2: it's so funny and jim plays it perfectly because he has that just likable like midwestern face you know he's like a chicago guy and you just and you just you feel bad for him, but you also know that he doesn't give a shit. Ultimately, like he's totally fine with it. And and by the way, what is it about with him? And like on the show, I think Roblo dates his daughter. It's like this is good. like every what is it about people dating his daughters in shows? He's just got that perfect dad face of like, and oh, the other man. thing that he
0: sells so well. And it's hard for me to, to, you know, get it across to the audience on a podcast. But just when his like he just do like sort of a frumpy sit down when he was disappointed about a zinger. And it was so good that I was like, did this guy get made fun of his entire life? Like, what's <laughs> yeah? What's going on? It's just
2: good acting. It's just good. And 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 he has he dropped some good nuggets in his episode. We have an episode with him coming up. And and you know he he auditioned to play Ron Swanson. So he auditioned to play Ron, and that's how you know his audition was good. And and, and Mike and Greg were like, let's put him in the world somewhere. Like he's not. Exactly, Ron. But maybe he's another character. And man, what a what a great what a great eye to those guys. I mean, think about all the people they cast in that show. From you know, from obviously Leslie and and you know Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman, but also Aziz and Aubrey and Pratt and Rashida and Adam Scott later on. Like it, it's it's a it's a murderous row, and, it, and it's really like a great chemistry between. I'm leaving people out, obviously, but yeah, there's there's it's a it's a loaded cast. Jim and Jim and Red included. You know, they're working. They're constantly working now.
0: Yeah, and uh. You know, Greg's vision for it and sure being able to kind of take what he got from Greg, I think, on the office side and then uh, Allison Jones and the casting part of it. She's just a monster. I mean, she's just uh, it's hard to compete with her, at least yeah. uh, as far as we- when you're talking about this kind of stuff. I mean, she just, well, I, you know, I read the office book, too, after the fact, and I'm not even fanboying about it because I like the show so much. But when you hear her discover and describe in her process of casting, um, she's brilliant
2: yeah we we just had Allison and Ben on cuz that you know they they worked on uh, on parks and 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 you know she also did master of none for us and and very early on you know when we were casting that show we were just like Allison just send us interesting people like we we had, we wrote some parts for the show but like just send us interesting people cuz we will write parts for them she sent us like a dozen people and we just meet them we'd just sit down chat with them you know take their measure i think the first or second person she sent us we were like, this person's like just the most interesting, you know, woman to talk to. And it was Lena Waits and she had barely acted. She had, was a writer for Bones and she just came in with like wearing her Timberlands. And she literally was just like, man, you, she was like, how was your guys' weekends? We we're like, it was good. How was yours? She's like, I met a woman and I think I turned her into a lesbian. You know, like literally like just like immediately like the funny stories and just had this rapport with disease. We're like, let's just cast her in the show the character was kind of, she wasn't necessarily black. She wasn't lesbian. She wasn't, it was like, let's just write it for Lena and see what she can do. And, and, you know, obviously that character grew and grew. So that's Allison just sending us someone who's interesting and just like, oh, this is, could be a funny person in your show and may not be the character, but, it's just you can't make that shit up, and you can't invent a person. You know that's ultimately you're 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 photographing people. That's a show, right? So, so I'm just uh, wondering if my really next huge
0: ingredients next pitch, if I walk in, if I can use that line, if it was so
2: successful. <laughs> I think I turned a woman into a lesbian? Yeah, uh, I mean that that was start like, up you know, Hey guys, how was, how was your weekend?
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, two more things. Yeah, um good transition and master none the parents episode. uh You guys really tried something here. You put these real parents in the show, and I think the you know it was a it was a maybe a departure in, in the second episode of what it was going to be about um and it was just very authentic and even though you know there was you know what I liked about it is that I didn't care about his parents not being actors you know I didn't care about that part I think the the message of you guys are upset about missing the movie trailers and I killed my pet chicken and you know I had I had literally no hope and I did all of this for you and you can't fucking pick up some rice and if you didn't see the episode maybe this isn't is but it was a really cool I think departure from just normal story arc stuff um to set the template for what was more of an episode about respect than it was maybe even entertainment
2: yeah yeah. And, and, and boy, there's so many stories about that episode, you know, and that story about basically my dad growing up really sort of poor and destitute in Taiwan and not having enough food to eat. Basically, the story is that he had a pet chicken and and he didn't have enough food to eat. And so his mom was like, kill the chicken so we can eat it for dinner. And he had to do that. And that's a story my dad told me when I was a kid. And it's like it, that really happened. He grew up in like a village in Taiwan. And I'm in a fucking I'm in my house in in, in LA, like doing a podcast now with, with Ryan. Right. It's like that it happens that quickly. And, you know, I told that story to Aziz when we were tearing our hair out, trying to figure out what that show was, because we actually had written a pilot and we had written, we had sold a show to Netflix. And then we actually took a year off because we had another season of Parks to do. So Parks and Rec got picked up for another season. So we did season seven. Meanwhile, our show is Master is picked up straight to series. We don't know what the fuck it is. Like we have a pilot, but. We didn't love it. And and so we were like, we're what, what we going to get to make this show. We're going to get to. But what do we have to say that's actually different from everything else that's out there? So we threw that pile in the garbage and we just told each other stories. And that was one of the stories. And he's like, wait, is that story true? Like your dad, like, was that poor? And I was like, yeah, it was insane. He, his mom worked in a sugar factory and he helped his mom in a sugar factory. And that's, you know, he had a single mom, he had two brothers and they didn't have enough food to eat. And again, look at us now. We're at the Bowery Hotel pitching a TV show or whatever it is. And he's like, wow, that's incredible. That's actually about something. Let's, that could be an episode. And and it kind of the breakthrough was every episode can be about anything we want. It could be anything. And, and, and keep in mind that, you know, this is 2014 or something. This is a while ago. So that idea was very strange to everybody, very foreign concept. And the idea that episode two of the show, which was the parents episode, had no characters in it from episode one, except for Aziz was insane. That was like Netflix and Universal were like, what are you guys doing? This is, this makes no sense. And, and you know, people take that for granted, I think, but at the time, like, you know, we are still trying to push those boundaries and and we wanted parents to be the first episode and netflix is like it's too crazy <laughs> like it can't be the first one like the first one is much more normal if you watch that show it's like yeah it's a group of friends it's like him and eric Wareheim and lena and and noel and they're just hanging out at a bar but but the second episode we're like that's where the show is like that like wow we started in india and taiwan and 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 we just like we flash forward 50 years and we, then we flash back 50 years and that came from a really real place where like you know me and aziz felt like total lazy ding-dongs because our parents had just done so much work in their lives to set us up where we were.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really, really well done. And I, I even loved the, the stretch where Aziz is walking through the alley, and it's the older women working out. And I remember when I started doing some seaport shows for ESPN, there would be this group of, like, it was like an older Asian fitness group that would get together, and they'd be doing calisthenics at like 6 in the morning on the pier, out by the water. And I go, what? what's going to like, "Dude, every day? like the amount of education. There's like, there's like one dude, and I don't know yeah. if he's like the Mac of the group or what. <laughs> he's like, he shows up. And you just had that scene that you have to know New York City. Yes. You have to know, have some exposure to a different culture. You know what I mean? You, you have to see that. And that it was so nonchalant in the way that it was shot that they just go through the alley and walk around this group of older women exercising. I was like, this is kind of perfect if you get it.
2: Yeah, and can I tell you about that scene? That was total like luck and happenstance. Like, and and I I walk I walk through that area all the time. It's near Broom Street, and like I play basketball near there. I so love Broom like, Street. I mean, yeah. that's that whole that whole <laughs> yeah, area is
0: where I usually hang out when I sit.
2: Yeah, it's like borderline Chinatown. So so you know I have a place in the Lower East Side, and so that's where I shoot around. That's where I go, you know, play basketball, and it's right by there. And so we—that's the other bonus of doing that show was like we were just shooting in restaurants and bars and streets that we loved and neighborhoods we loved and so let's just do hey we have a steady cam let's just have Aziz and Kelvin walk through this area oh shit they're they're doing calisthenics let's let's get that and let's just shoot it we're here you know it's like we know this area and those aren't our extras those are just people and that's just new york and it's just so happens it 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 is very thematically relevant with the episode so that was like that that was that was a happy accident
0: just so I don't expose myself too much and not knowing all the inner workings of the seat, the streets of, of Manhattan. I probably don't hang out in that part of Chinatown when I get a hotel, but I, hey, <laughs> there's it's another, close, man. It's there's it's another not that stretch. Far.
2: It's not that far from the Ludlow. It's close. Yo, it's close. It's not that far. It's, I it's, just it's, didn't it's want like,
0: anyone to be listening to be like, I've heard where Brasillo says he hangs out when he goes to the city. That's not where, but broom streets. Yeah. You know, it's close. Go,
2: it's close to Ray's. Ray's. It's close to uh, Thoreau and, and Nick Brown's bar Ray's, Shout out to Ray's. So yeah, it's not too far. <laughs>
0: Okay, last one. Did you, as you've gotten older, do you have any guilt about your Fire Joe Morgan tenure?
2: Uh, guilt. I would say, you know, I just feel like that stuff you write with such... Here's what I would say.
0: Now, now, and just now, for now. people to remember that yes. Fire Joe, that was, that was Michael Schur's deal. It was a blog and it was a great title. Yes. And I had gotten to ESPN kind of as it was happening. Uh, certainly, I was never going to be the one that anybody cared about back then. Um. <laughs> And it was basically like, here's this, this, this idea that we hate this guy on Sunday night baseball and now everybody else just join in. Right. Is that, yeah. is that a pretty good Yeah, it was, it was
2: basically like, and, and I, I honestly wish we had just named it something else. Cause it really wasn't about, Hey, firing this one guy. Sure. Although we did, we did make fun of Joe Morgan quite a bit, but we made fun of Tim McCarver. We made fun of like, you know, Harold Reynolds, whatever, all these people. And really like, if there's anything to regret about it, it's just the tone of it. But that's also kind of the comedy, right? It's also, keep in mind this is this is twelve years ago on the internet. This isn't twenty twenty one. It was, but it was just like the tone of the thing was just like very snarky and very much like this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. We had just read Moneyball, and it was like it was just think about. We're showing launch angle and VORP and all this shit on national broadcast now, at the time, they would only show batting average. They would only show. And now we know these stats are real and and as boring as they can be. Sometimes they are accurate. And unfortunately, the data is real. Right. Certainly in baseball. Right. So but but 10 years ago, we were just grinding that axe over and over and over again. And honestly, some of that shit is still funny. But also, we're honestly, we're wrong about a lot of stuff on that blog. So that's the irony of it, which is like, yeah, but people keep learning. But I think the, the overall message was be open to new ideas and things the way you think a, sh- a sport should be played changes. Look at the NBA. Look at the shot distribution in the NBA. Look at Kirk Goldsberry's shot charts from even 2010 or 2000. People just didn't realize all you should be doing is shooting threes, getting fouled, shooting free throws and dunking. Like no one, no one should be, the, the, the mid range should just be used as a release valve. And people didn't know that people were taking 21 footers all the time. Like Kobe Bryant, God bless him. Like just taking a lot of follow away, 20 footers, even Jordan, right? But if Jordan played now, he would learn to adapt. And and that's, that's, pro, that's again, not to get too grandiloquent, but that's human progress. You learn, you're open-minded. You might be wrong. That's all. That's all we're saying. It's like, to me, it's like, I might be wrong about something. I have to be open minded and and not be like, this is the way it's always done. And the, and sports and sports is results oriented, there's no better. There's almost no better place where like innovation can happen, because if you start doing something, if you start shooting a lot of threes or if you start going for home runs more than just making contact. You win, like winning at sports is about winning, and so that you know, shit works. Like the the idea of data and science is like it works, and in sports it works, right? Go for it on fourth down more. Stop punting so much. Stop bunting so much. Like all this stuff, results work, and and that's why a lot of the data has won. You know, has won. Not to go now. Now I've gone on a crazy data data rant, but but it's happened. We we know it's happened. You know, look at how many threes are shot in the NBA. That's my biggest data point, at least in 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 that league, which I follow really closely. You know.
0: Um, I would say this, that uh, we need to have you back on. We'll talk some sports with you because I think we unleashed the the energy from you there at the end. We were like, actually, dude, I'm a huge sports fan. And we oh, spent the man, time uh, we about gotta it, right? so, I've got to talk
2: NBA stuff. I've got Lakers preseason thoughts. That's, that's how deep <laughs> this is for me. I, I want to talk about THT's injury.
0: <laughs> By the way, Parks and Recollection came out in September um, with this this interview got pushed off so so long that um, I didn't realize now we've got five episodes out. So they go over the pilot. Allison Jones is on the uh, the fourth episode. They just did the banquet this past week. Uh, that was just yesterday that that came out. So check out Alan Yang and Rob Lowe on that. And just to be let's check out the reviews. Oh, we've got a pretty good number here. Um, Not bad, right? Just
2: just came out
0: It was on the two, charts. Two stars, though. Uh, I know you don't like any of the negative stuff, but we're just gonna do one to keep you please keep you, keep you honest. this is can we make a clean can we make it cleaner or at least have a clean version? So there's some feedback
2: <laughs> oh cleaner, oh man, I don't know if I could do that I, I think I don't think I could do that, that that's uh, sorry, whoever that is uh you're gonna have to start your own parks and recollection parks and recreation recap pod, maybe with a, uh, maybe Jerry and Donna will be cleaner <laughs> on there. the clean
0: version like yeah. That. Hey, Alan, thanks a lot. This is a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Absolutely,
2: man. Thank you so much. And thanks for uh, doing all that research. Because, uh, man, you really knew a lot about my life. So I uh, appreciate that.
0: This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day, this is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class, that just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And, of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. Modelo knows it's not about whether you win or lose, it's about cheering louder, traveling further. It's about showing up no matter what, because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. An ice-cold reward, rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
4: You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: We're gonna do this one more time because it fascinates me how often people don't get this. So a video came out of Sir Rudy and I talking about Harry Styles and the number of people that still think we're saying Sir Rudy. Is yeah. if he's knighted. Don't you think that would come up more often if Sir Rudy introduced himself as Sir space Rudy? Don't you think we would bring that up more as, as content? It's just an Italian name. It's Sir Rudy. Um, It's far better than Greenie's nickname for
4: you. How long did that nickname last? Roots. Too long. Yeah, Roots was one that I didn't really acknowledge for a while. But, I mean, Greenie was super cool to me, but I, I don't think I ever acknowledged that one. I just was like, you know what? We're going to let you have that one, but I'm not going to respond to it. Uh, Ceruti. I mean, it's always amazing to me. Like Allison, who's our guest booker, who's great. She had never heard that before either, and she's like, "That's the greatest name ever. I'm gonna start calling you that from now on." I'm like, I'm like "Well, it's the same name, so I get why people do it." But I, I am not an imperial knight. I wish I was. I'd probably be much cooler. Um, but I, I legitimately get dozens. Of emails and, well, not emails, I guess. Like, I get dozens of tweets about that, and I've gotten them for many, many years. It's, 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 it's you know, there's always like some new thing that people always, they, you know, they see my face or they see me on the show or something, and then they see my Twitter handle and they're like, wait, you're not actually Sir Rudy? I'm like, why would I be Sir Rudy? Why would I be a knight?
0: Or if you weren't, like, clearly you're not a knight, we would have brought it up at some point. And if you weren't, and you're like, this guy's super into, what
4: is it, LARPing? What, what are those guys? Oh, yeah, too? live action role playing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not a LARPer, just to be clear.
0: Right. But I'm just saying it would have been addressed. And I know know, your audience grows all the time. Podcast does really well. There's new people listening constantly. So that's cool. But to think like, hey, Russillo is usually on everybody about things and he doesn't want to touch this one. And the guy that he's become really close with in the industry is a guy that's so into LARP that he he has named himself Sir Rudy. Um, Yeah, I guess... I guess it just surprises me that people would think it was that and that it would never be brought up. Because trust me, if you did call yourself that, we would bring
3: it up a lot more. Right, Kyle? <laughs> I just want you guys to know that I've been I've been muted laughing about roots for 90 seconds. <laughs> <Roots> <laughs> <a bad> one. <laughs> roots.
4: I mean, Greeny, you know, bless him not the best giver of nicknames uh over the course of time and uh yeah that one did not stick luckily
0: i remember like he he never knew what to do with me like I, we like uh, each confused
4: other the hell out of him yeah because he, he just he just he's very like de- you know he's very straightforward and you would just kind of like do these things where you kind of fuck with him but he wouldn't know if you were fucking with him or not
0: yeah yeah and then it's kind of like why would you be fucking with me and then it's like how could i not fuck with you a little bit <laughs> come on man and so i would go and do like get up for long stretches and and I always knew it was I always felt it was good, you know because i I thought the great role about me on Get Up is that i'm a host, but i'm not the host for that show, but i can I can get in a little, but I can also pivot it and ease the burden, even though look greeny is is one of the best hosts The pacing of the show is is one of its strengths uh and look, they turned that show around because when it was first starting out, it was kind of like what's going on? do we have three hosts what's uh, anyway i'm not the oral history of get up all right um <laughs> He's horrible with the nicknames and he will just kind of do them. And so like Stephen A came by to do something one time and Stephen A, who loves sharing the camera with everybody, you know, looking at me, he's like, oh, Rosillo's here in the middle chair. What the hell's going on? And then he's like, okay, (laughs) Stevie, what do you got? And he, Stephen A leaves. I was like, why did you call him Stevie? And he goes, well, my son's name, I call him Stevie. I'm like, that's your fucking kid, Stevie. I'm like, I've never heard anybody else call Stephen A. Smith other than, you know, Stephen A. Stephen, you know, like that's that's it. Those are the only two options. So so Greeny was a big I'm just making up a nickname guy out of nowhere. And he'd be like, so Rudy, Rudy, Roots, Roots. All right, Roots, what do you got? And the rest of us, we had had you on the show with Van Pelt and I. And I told you, like, you got to go to Mike and Mike. Go work on Mike and Mike. Have that on your resume. I know you're going to hate getting up and everything. We love everything you've done with us, but go work on that show. And then like a week in, I think we caught like the last hour and we were in our studio prepping and I heard him
4: call you Roots. And we just Van Pelt and I looked at each other (laughs) like, oh, man. That's a tough scene. Tough scene for your boy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what's funny, though, is I've actually had, because at the time when I was with you guys, it was Quinnipiac, Steve, because we had two Steves, obviously. There's Stanford, Steve. And like, what do we call you? I was like, I don't know. Quinnipiac, Steve. I went to Quinnipiac. And then, uh, even before that, Gottlieb gave me the. I've had a. I've had so many nicknames. Gottlieb gave me the name uh, nickname Twilight because I hadn't seen the light of day in like years, and I looked like like Edward Cullen or whatever his name is. And then Cowherd stole that on the herd. Uh, so it was Twilight, Quinnipiac, Steve, Roots, and now Sir Rudy. Cowherd stole somebody's joke. Shocker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I. <laughs> yeah because you were you were young you pasty and you were thin and you looked. well like i was a, also
4: working a lot of overnight so i didn't see yeah. the sun for like a good two years and i didn't it wasn't the i was on a vitamin d supplement so i wasn't it wasn't at my peak health uh so yeah, yeah. But you
0: did you looked like an extra in the werewolf gang yeah. before you did the werewolf
4: deal kind of had long dark yeah. hair yeah so yeah, yeah. Totally. Call, me, call me twilight
3: so <laughs> let me just ask what did you do to combat not being known as roots did you just, just did you say nothing it. like did you I'm trying to think what were you like 25 and like yeah, you know, yeah and somebody who's it established is like your roots now and you just it, didn't say <laughs> see nobody thought it was
4: a good name so I just wouldn't really respond to it but the problem was everybody like all the other people that worked on the show like Ray and you know whoever Liam would love it and they would call me roots just because they knew I hated it not because they actually thought it was my nickname they were just doing it because they hated it. <laughs> so it took a couple <laughs> years to get that one off I me mean, thank you greenie
0: but greenie wouldn't greenie's not the type of guy though that would do it knowing you don't like it though like he would just be like <laughs> he I, thought I don't he think...
4: had come up with something real yeah. clever that's what it was and you yeah. know i wasn't gonna tell him i hated it because i was like I, you never said so a 25 year old nobody but you know i wasn't also wasn't gonna you know placate to it
0: because St- stanford steve was five star Steve Mm -hmm. before he was Stanford Steve. And before he was five star Steve, he was Steve in the hallway, which was a Cowherd thing. That was an original. And it was Steve in the hallway. And then he started having him on and Cowherd was like really good because back then it was just so it was just dumb. Like the rule was, hey, we pay you to talk on the air. We don't want to hear from anybody else. You're like, yeah, but you don't get it. If you're paying me to be on the air, you're going to want to hear me prop off of somebody else. So when Outsider Mike tells the donkey story, like there's, it's gold. We're going to let him talk for five minutes and have Van Pelt and I be just out of our minds. Like, we can't believe um, Outsider's a guy who worked behind the board. And he told a story about a donkey when they were tripping to Italy. And the donkey was so miserable, it just looked at everybody and jumped to its death off of a cliff
4: <laughs> while he was a kid. It, that can't be
0: true. Well, whatever. He, he's got a little theatrical... <laughs> thing to him outsider did. He oh, yeah. just always knew. He kind of knew always like it, it was like this uh, out of nowhere, we're like, wait, this guy's amazing. And he's got these these perfect beats for like a side radio guy. And I think the best radio shows have always had that. But ESPN was always like, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. And then Levitar did it and they're like, oh Dan can do it. And we're like, why what what are you guys talking about? And that was that was always another set of rules thing that, yeah. that annoyed the shit out of the rest of the shows. But I I always felt like when we were watching that, we were were watching our friend die a little every time we got called Roots.
4: Yeah, a little part of me did die. Uh, But then about a year later, I was back with you. So what's up? Shouts out to Rosillo and Canel. Rest in peace. Good run. Rest
0: in peace. I always get emails saying, I've been there since the SVP days. I don't get many that say I've been there since the Canel days. I don't know what that that means. Maybe they were already there. They were already there. And, and that's what it was. Okay, let's do a, a pizza party follow-up from the pizza party emailer. And then we have one other quick one. All right, we good with that? Yeah. Okay. So you remember the pizza party scandal? Because I know some of you guys re- listen to Life Advice way later. Like I'm still getting Harry Styles emails. We've got it. We got it. Olivia Wilde used to be Ted Lasso's Our bad. girlfriend. Our bad. We got it. <laughs> if you're listening to that podcast today and you go you know let me help these guys out we have been assisted we've we've got it although they continue to fly in thanks to Bob. okay all right so our guy had a pizza party to recap um seven pizzas vegan running crew uh this one couple said hey we'll get the pizza this time they said it was seven pizzas 250 bucks and by the way it was byob which i should have mentioned i brought up hey you know what like you guys blast her on Facebook, but hopefully it was a Facebook group that was private. I basically decided I'll continue to be by myself because of the story. I didn't I kind of blame no one, but blamed everybody. Here's what I love is the guy that sent in the email was fired up that we read it and didn't take it is like get really defensive because that can happen when you send in something and maybe I'm not 100 percent on your side Then you can have guys email in and it's totally defensive. And now we're getting away from the goal is trying to figure out exactly what happened because we also had a lot. This is a lot like the Weinstein story. We had a lot of people. Reaching out to go, hey, I have a theory on what happened. So let's start with our guy in the runner's group that's also vegan. My guys, appreciate you reading the ridiculous pizza drama on the pod. No expectations whatsoever. But uh, if I'm one of the rare few who garners enough feedback to justify a 30, 45 second follow up. So a few points of clarification. You absolutely deserve that. First, you were right when you speculated it's 100% about the principle of matter. Um, he the guys are just like, look, if the pizzas cost one sixty when we call store and they charge us two fifty, then it's kind of just screwed up. And I get it, I get not loving that. Um, so he goes, I genuinely enjoyed the night, happily paid the fifty, but don't think it's unreasonable to say the overcharging, friends lying about it, taking a few bills off the top is questionable behavior for a budding relationship. Second, before anything was communicated online, her best friend in the group texted her on the side after having verified the hundred dollar discrepancy with the pizza place. So again, they get charged. They're like, this doesn't make sense. Some recon is done. They find out the pizza place says that order, that specific order costs this much. So her best friend, I guess, texted on the side. So that's good. Casually offered her multiple opportunities to explain the discrepancy, which she declined to do. Lastly, the Facebook group is absolutely private. We did not put her on blast. Uh, The confrontation I mentioned was simply one of members saying something to the effect of, hey, in the future, $25 is probably too much for me to justify, to which the hostess responded. I honestly don't care about the money. I do, however, care to avoid befriending people who bizarrely dabble in the pettiest of theft. Maybe I'm a jerk. I hope I, uh, maybe I'm the jerk. I hope I am. Oh, wow. Okay. It's just, uh, such a clusterfuck that I had to consult the guru. Um, by the way, he sent a picture of an SVP Rosillo single issue gray long sleeve knockoff dry fit, uh, that he sent. Uh, he said, so sent it to him. Okay. Here's, uh, here's what we're working with. A lot of people did follow up. The most valuable information, Kyle, was this. There's a really simple explanation, a possible explanation for why this upcharge happened, uh, because it seems to be enough evidence that the upcharge did happen. Um, If you ordered it from a certain food delivery service, there could have been a massive upcharge. If they don't have one of the Postmates membership things or membership deals with any of the other uh, competitors, there's a really good chance. Like sometimes you'll do an order a specific place. Like there's this one sushi place in Manhattan Beach. And if you hit it wrong, it's like trying to leave walk ons in Baton Rouge. You get back to your hotel at 2 a.m. after a game night. You just, Uber is a mortgage. All right. So I, I really do think there's a chance here that she could have been upcharged. But as much as I appreciate all the inquiries and recon, Kyle, the problem is it appears that she at least, it was one of two things. She upcharged and that's why she hasn't provided the receipts or she didn't. She's so offended that you guys accused her of it. She's not showing you anything because she's done with all of it. Um, so I think that's something for the pizza runner, the vegan runner pizza beer group to consider that there's a chance she just got hosed on one of the food apps.
3: Kyle? There is a chance, but there is one thing. If you're stuck trying to leave someplace and Uber's $100, you know what you do. What you do is you check lift. That's what I'm saying. And I think if she actually did have the receipts and was like, all right, you guys are gonna feel like a bunch of assholes, I think that's the first thing she would have done. Again, this is ugly to keep talking about, but um, yeah, I think I think something weird happened. I don't know what it is, but I I don't think that the the just the service charge would be like you know, sixty dollars and the tip was forty dollars. Like that's the only way you could explain it, right? If the service and delivery charge was sixty dollars. I don't know. Also seems like a lot of pizzas for ten people. Unless somebody didn't show up, this math doesn't add up either.
4: Surudi? So I still don't think that adds up because I think wouldn't even if this person was offended uh the girl was offended she would still tell you hey idiot like this was why it was this way and i'm gonna be mad at you because of that i don't think she would hide that from you wouldn't she want to prove to you that she didn't screw you over but then still not be friends with you afterwards i don't i don't get why she wouldn't reveal that information plus I, pizza places i they have delivery i, I, I don't think there's an uber Eat situation where there would be some massive they're used to delivery like it's not like it's some bougie like poke place where you're getting takeout from where like you know you know, pizza. It's get, pretty forward.
3: This generation doesn't like talking on the phone, though. It's just a fact. They'll pay it's that charge to not talk to anyone and and read their credit card number over the phone. Okay, but I will. I will tell you,
0: Kyle. You're the kind of guy that would check Lyft. Um, I do it still at the airport. I don't just blindly go whatever. You know, mm. I'll be like, wait this this rate sucks. Let me see what that's. What the, let's dance with this a little bit here. There are a lot of people that don't even think that way. You know, that wherever they're at financially. Um, they just go, whatever delivery. So I don't know. I don't know what happened here. I don't know what happened here, but uh, you know what? I do know what happened is some people lost some friends over some pricey pizza. And I think in the long run, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you'll regret losing the friends. Maybe your, your position with friends is strong. Um,
4: I like that. Our guy was willing to take the blame though. He's, he's, he's open to being wrong. Good emailer. He, yeah. yeah. Like, he seems like a good dude. This guy's pretty accountable. Totally, okay. yeah. A lot of people, I think, would have
0: heard me read the first email and come back defensive. Mm-hmm. Maybe call me out, you know, not not like it because that happens. We don't we don't really read those too often um, because and I mean, I guess we could do hate mail once a week, but that doesn't seem like as much fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do this last one. Deep breath here. Hey, Ryan, 5'11", 170-ish, crappy small forward. I'm in a fantasy league with some friends, including my buddy whose wife tragically passed away in a car accident a few weeks back. The problem is, a few days after her accident, the husband traded Nick Chubb to his team from his wife's fantasy team. Yes, a few days later. I wasn't going to say anything about it, being a grieving husband and whatnot. But it did come up eventually in the group chat, and he defended himself by saying it was her dying wish to give him Nick Chubb. <laughs> Should we let this slide? <laughs> There's no way this is true.
4: No freaking chance. No <laughs> way.
0: It's fake. He so we can was laugh. doing, okay. He... It, I, I mean, obviously, I'll feel terrible if it's not fake. He was doing a great job with this email. He gives us the stats, his pick up <laughs> hoop scouting report, gives us the backdrop. When I read it the first time, I was like, what? And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this one. And then when he ends it, when he said what not, I was like, okay, because I always feel like whenever my buddies say something and be like in the what not, like it just, it's immediately a flag that we're not mm. being serious about anything. And when he said that he defended it in a group chat, just imagine this scenario, fantasy text thread. Was the wife not in the original thread, by the way? She was not. Let's let's say she's not in this thread. And the wife's dead two weeks. And one of the guys is like, hey, bro, what's up with that Nick Chubb trade? (laughs) And he says to the rest of the text thread, my wife's dying wish was for me to have Nick Chubb. (laughs) I
3: fucking lost it.
0: (laughs) So you're saying, Kyle, if it were real and
3: your buddy said that, your reaction is what? Bullshit, but I mean, I'm also not like <laughs> I've been in the group chat, and I've never been the guy who's stirring shit up in the fantasy group chat who's mad about something that happened in the fantasy league seven to zero right now. You know what can you say? But what can you say yeah? But I guess I just I just know that it, I would have said nothing actually because I've never been in a fantasy group chat where somebody's not going to be like, "Are you fucking serious, bro?" So I would have just let it unfold. I would I would said nothing and let somebody else do the dirty work for me. I don't want that sort of stuff on paper. With my name on it. Would you have complained about the wife, the dead wife, giving Nick Chubb to your buddy privately? Maybe. I might have put an LOL in there, I think, because we are at that at that point, we all know we're joking. <laughs> like, this is a big joke at that point. <laughs> Come on, dying witch. <laughs> the the way you're
0: laughing, the way we are laughing, if this is real, there- but there's no way. There's no I- way it's real. There's no way it's real. There's no way a friend. Would say the sentence weeks after his wife was killed in a car accident. Her dying wish was for me to have Nick Chubb.
3: <laughs> so, Unless they were a hilarious couple, like literally the funniest two people you ever there's met. There's no
0: couple. I don't think <laughs> nah. there's any couple that
3: that like.
0: <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> I bet you this guy sends back a link to like some death in a car, and he's like, no, it's this. I mean, guys try to get us all the time with it because if we had taken it really seriously and it was a group of buddies and we were breaking down like the, the pros and cons of calling somebody else out for a dead wife trading Nick Chubb to a buddy, like I would have been dying laughing at anyone taking that seriously. I mean, the downside of this, is you could have somebody being like, you guys are dicks because it actually did happen. I just have a hard time believing there's any way a guy, uh, th- this transaction happened. And the guy was like, no, that's what she said, man. So you can't. It if it is true,
4: do you, does the commissioner get involved and undo the trade, or you just kind of let can't, your buddy have it? I can't don't know. you just
0: vote against it?
4: You can. Or I don't know. Maybe the guy really, you know, obviously it would be a tough situation. Do you just let him have Nick Chubb and everybody just kind of shut their mouths? I would, I, what Kyle said, I would let somebody else handle that confrontation. I would not be able to get involved whatsoever. I guess
0: it's on the commissioner. He would just have to say, look, I get it, but you're not, you're not going to get the votes. This isn't this yeah. going to get approved. That's great. Then. By the way, he, he didn't include the email didn't include what was traded for Nick Chubb. So now we know definitely know it's fake. That could have been a fair trade. Yeah. What if it was what if it was a decent, it was a yeah. decent trade? But you got, know. She
4: got Kyle Murray back.
0: But who's going to set her lineup now? Okay, that's life advice. Lifeadvice at gmail.com. <laughs> Thanks to Kyle and Steve. And Roots. And Roots.
4: I think it is weird roots. that you call me Steve at the end of the, <laughs> the pod all the time. Nobody calls me Steve. It's weird.
0: I know. Nobody calls me You're doing me it like lying.
4: it's very like it's, it's like a format that you're doing. I've never heard you call me. I
0: was up. told to do it, and I want to make sure I'm following the rules.
4: Kyle so. and Roots. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it.
0: Kyle, do you have a nickname? No. No. Come on. No. You must have had one. What's your best nickname? I don't think I can say it here. I won't do it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> All right, we'll just let that one go. Enjoy your weekend, everybody.